Hey everyone, welcome to episode 65 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Dr. Brian Sko, the Chief Medical Officer at Avera eCare. Without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Sko and learn more about the company. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. How are you today? Excellent, Jared. Thank you for the opportunity to share our eCare story. Very excited. I, I'd love if we could just kind of kick, thing, uh, kick things off, Brian, with telling me a little bit more about your, your background, how you got to where you are today, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Brian Scow. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Avera eCare, emergency medicine by background. I've been with uh, Vera Health over the last uh, 18 years, and we've been in the telehealth space uh, going on 27 years now. Uh, we stood up our virtual hospital uh, here in Sioux Falls about 10 years ago. Um, we really defined a need in our area. We're in a rural community, and one of our roles is we support rural communities and also the uh, APPs and physicians that staff them. And. Is there a certain area within healthcare where you guys have more of a focus in? One of one of our focuses uh, currently is, is rural healthcare. Um, for example, we started um, about 27 years ago, and our first patient uh, was in a remote location. He was actually a judge in uh, southwestern uh, South Dakota, and he was not able to travel to see his uh, cancer physician. He had lung cancer, so we were able to see and evaluate him over the cameras uh, with our uh, oncology specialists and uh, help him at home. And he didn't need to travel uh, to see the physician. Uh, since that time, uh, we've started an ICU program, an emergency program, pharmacy. Uh, we see patients across a, a great spectrum. Uh, this includes uh, patients that are in the hospital, patients that are at home, patients that are in the clinic, also on Indian reservations. Uh, in schools and also in prisons. Interesting. What what has been one of the, I guess, well, COVID's been the big storyline, but how did things look before COVID? And then as we've been involved with COVID over the last couple months, how, I guess, things changed or at least looked differently? In regards to COVID, things changed rapidly. Um, it really uh, ramped up uh, in early March for us um, once the first patients started rolling in. Uh, what we did here locally is uh, we essentially took over our Ask a Nurse hotline. Uh, so we wanted to identify the first point of contact. So initially, uh, we were fielding phone calls on COVID suspicious patients, and this was our team of 20 emergency physicians and then also critical care nurses. The goal of screening these calls was to set up home visits. So within about 24 hours, uh, we were screening 300 calls a day uh, with the goal of trying to keep the appropriate patients out of the emergency department. Once we identified that they potentially could stay at home, we set up video visits. Uh, we would see them over their computers iPads or phones, but in addition, we would provide them with peripheral devices. For example, a pulse oximeter. 
so we could evaluate uh, their oxygen levels at home and determine their severity of illness. Through this program, we, we really helped but around 50 patients a day staying out of the ER. We are also able to take care of pregnant patients at home, evaluating their fetal heart tones uh, remotely. Uh, we also stood up a drive-through testing center. Unfortunately, we had a pork plant uh, that had a great exposure to COVID. We had over a thousand patients just out of this pork plant. And through this, we set up a testing center and tested approximately 3,000 patients over two and a half days. Another big piece that, that really changed for our clinics was the clinics closed. So within one to two days, we were able to train hundreds of our primary care and specialty physicians. And typically their clinics were extremely busy, but on average, they would only do 10 video visits a day. Well, this changed from 10 to 1,000, an increase of 10,000%, if you can imagine. And the amount of engagement from physicians that typically I wouldn't have thought uh, would have used telemedicine really ramped up. Probably the biggest area where we made an impact was in our rural emergency departments. Uh, what we were able to do is through our cameras, there's essentially an easy button on the wall. So imagine that you're sitting in a rural emergency department. Within about 30 seconds, a team of emergency medicine physicians can get pulled up on camera with a high definition audio visual connection. And we were able to assist these rural facilities with managing these critical patients because COVID patients, we just really hadn't seen these types of patients before and they need to be managed differently. So we were able to use the most recent evidence-based protocols. Uh, in addition, we added services uh, to our emergency line. Uh, we were able to pull in respiratory therapists to help with ventilator settings on intubated patients. In addition, when, it, when a patient's intubated, using a video laryngoscope, that's attached to our system. So when they're peering inside an airway and they look at their five-inch screen, we can see that in 50 inches of high def. And we can help uh, essentially be the eyes and ears with those intubations. So there's multiple different points of contact, especially for education, patient management, and then the highest risk procedures which are these intubation procedures. Was it difficult to, or did you already have the respiratory therapist uh, involved with the company? Because that's been something I've heard from a, a couple organizations. Um, it, it was tough to find those type of professionals. Did you guys already have a network of those professionals or uh, did you have to go and find somewhere to pull from? Yeah, Jared, you've got a great point there. Being able to scale is one of the key pieces. And if you don't have an established telemedicine program, it can be difficult. We did have a respiratory therapy program that we had piloted about six months ago. So we were able to pull that team in and assist uh, the rural facilities. So being able to, sc to scale quickly is the key. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's a huge advantage to uh, your organization to be able to do that. I know some other organizations had success with it, but easier said than done, right? <laughs> right. And that that's one of the things that, that makes us unique is that uh, within this virtual hospital, uh, we have 10 different service lines. So 24-7, you'll have two emergency physicians you'll have a critical care physician, you'll have internal medicine, you'll have a geriatrician, you'll have a psychiatrist, 
So it's really all about collaboration. So if I have a question on a critical care patient that might be in the emergency program, I can take a few steps over to the next hallway and we've got a critical care physician. Uh, if we have a psychiatric patient that's in the emergency department, because with COVID, what we've seen, unfortunately, is an increase in suicidality, uh, depression, and anxiety, and the different coping mechanisms that you use to deal with COVID. So through our programs, we're able to bring in a multidisciplinary team to take care of the patients and get access to the specialists when needed. Interesting. What What are some of the things that you're really excited about as we head into the second half of 2020? It's scary to say that, but we're, we're already there, right? What What are you looking forward to the most? What I'm looking forward to is the growth of telemedicine because we're really at essentially a tipping point. Uh, now it's out there. Uh, the genie is out of the bottle. People have seen what telemedicine can do and the impact that it can make. So from our standpoint, we're really we're going to continue to go where the need is, where the unmet need is, and we're able to identify that, uh, you know, especially from our established sites uh, over the camera. And how can we tailor telemedicine? to those needs. Uh, for example, uh, this came up just over the last six months. We had a, a rural facility uh, that was transferring uh, patients to larger facilities to have a sexual assault exam performed. And what we were able to do through our telemedicine services is establish a new service line, a same service line, a sexual assault nursing examination service. So now we are able to help these rural facilities take care of these patients and really keep them local because number one, it's an extremely traumatic experience. Number two, a lot of times they're being transferred by, for example, police officers uh, in the back of a squad car uh, to be transferred uh, to the larger facility. Sometimes that was the only mode of transfer. So it's that piece that excites me the most is how can we establish new service lines, innovate to the rural facilities and provide compassionate care? What would you say are some of the areas that telemedicine is like very strong in right now? And maybe, I guess, some of the areas that in order to continue to move forward will need to be improved. And this is, I understand this is completely, you know, your, your opinion, um, but I, I'm curious. I've been asking this a, a little bit lately and I've gotten some similar responses uh, but it's, it's always great, especially when, whenever I have the chance to have a chief medical officer on the show. I, I love hearing uh, you know, your viewpoint. Yeah, that's a good question, Jared. The, the strength areas right now are probably on the direct-to-consumer side. Um, you know, there's large companies out there that are providing direct-to-consumer. And what I mean by that is caring for patients at home. Uh, so that area is rapidly uh, growing. Uh, the area that we probably do the most business in is direct to hospitals or more of a business to business model. Areas that I would like to see grow quickly is behavioral health. That's one of the greatest needs right now. And it's really been exposed with COVID uh, with the amount of behavioral health visits that we've seen uh, tick up really related to depression and anxiety. I think the more that we can get uh, federal funding uh, for behavioral health programs and then also get telemedicine involved. One of the barriers is that 
it's difficult to recruit psychiatrists just because we don't have the numbers right now. So I think that's another piece is going to be workforce uh, to create or to increase the amount of behavioral health consults uh, that we can do uh, throughout the nation. And then also one of the biggest needs is in rural facilities. Uh, currently we're in a, around 200 critical access hospitals, uh, which is 15% of the nation's hospitals. So identifying what are their needs. Um, their needs typically are access to specialists uh, that can be neurologists for stroke, cardiologists, and especially uh, behavioral health. Perfect. What uh, what are what would you like to? I know we started chatting about this a little bit before the show started, but what would you like to discuss in terms of? Um, you know, going into COVID a little bit more, and I guess what uh, Ibera is doing, um, you know, in regards to its part when it comes to that. One of, one of the biggest things uh, that we've done is we prepared early, probably over-prepared, which isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it's educating our sites, doing mock scenarios also with mock COVID patients, uh, visualizing over the cameras that the nurses and the physicians are donning and doffing their uh, PPE appropriately. And also through an ePPE program, how can we conserve uh, those masks? And one of the things that we found is when we're the eyes and ears, we can go ahead and take that history and do what we can over the camera, somewhat limiting uh, the exposure. Uh, for example, in our own hospital, uh, we set up an entire wing for COVID patients that was a, essentially a virtual hospital where each room was equipped uh, with either an iPad or a video endpoint. Uh, so physicians could evaluate the patient uh, over the camera and not enter the room. Uh, in addition, they could auscultate heart and lung sounds. Uh, so they were able to do virtual rounds. Uh, this was also similar on our nursing home platform. Uh, where we monitor right around 5,000 nursing home beds. So we turned uh, nursing homes into essentially virtual nursing homes where our geriatricians could go and do rounds with mobile carts, listen to heart and lung sounds, get full sets of vital signs, and also set up isolation wings in nursing homes. Because one of our biggest worries were this is the highest risk population for COVID. And how do we protect uh, the seniors that are residing in skilled nursing facilities and try to limit the spread. So through those different programs, uh, we were re really able to, to attack COVID, uh, preserve PPE, protect healthcare workers, and most importantly, protect patients. Where can our audience learn more about the company? You can go to averaecare.org on our website. Uh, we've got multiple different protocols uh, for COVID, and it really gives a good picture of what the virtual uh, hospital looks like. Uh, we'll routinely give tours to larger groups that like to come in and, and see the facility, because when you can get that behind-the-scenes uh, tour and really see what we're doing, see it in action, it really makes a difference. However, we still have to wait for COVID to clear. We've uh, essentially stopped our tours. But the website gives a, a great overview of our uh, mission, vision, values, and then really the different service lines, the medical directors, and how we can support facilities. Perfect. Well, 
Thank you so much again for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'll throw in all the additional information uh, about the company in the show notes and look forward to staying up to date with the company and with you. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. All right. You done recording? Hey everyone, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is building the ecosystem of healthcare solutions and services to power the future of healthcare. Through Block Health, healthcare professionals and organizations can use their credentialing data for more. They can use the platform to store their credentialing and licensing related documents, fill out a smart common application that could be used to order multiple different services like provider enrollment, state license registration, state license renewals, and much more. To learn more about Block Health, please go to www.elochealth.com. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.